Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from the New King James Version, and we're reading from John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that, and that day was the Sabbath, Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It was the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Thank you very much for that scripture reading. That was great. How are we all doing today? I hope you're getting out your outlines. You can't miss them. They're brightly colored there in your bulletin. Uh, For our study time. Now, you remember when I speak here at Santa Clarita, I say, get it, and you say, and I say, good, just to make sure that you're listening and that you're awake and uh, aware of what's happening. We're going to be uh, talking about how God helps us when we're helpless. Have you ever felt helpless? I mean, there are times in our lives when we just wonder, you know, we don't know where to go, what to do, and we feel helpless. So we're going to talk about this in the context of a fascinating story. Uh, This is one of three times of healing in the Gospel of John, which will come uh, here at this particular point that will not only demonstrate how Jesus works with us when we're helpless, but also has some very interesting ramifications for Christ himself. Because you will notice in our scripture reading, and as we go through this, they became points of contention uh, between him and the Jewish leaders. In fact, altogether, he healed six times on the Sabbath. And this created uh, a lot of tension and uh, a lot of controversy. Let me give you some setting. Let's uh, understand kind of the context here because it's important for us to get a picture of what's going on. If you've ever been to Israel and you understand the geography of Israel, 
if I were to compare it to Southern California, I might say that, for example, if you considered Glendale, Jerusalem, and there are some in Glendale who may feel that way, <laughs> if you consider Glendale, Jerusalem, then in order to get to the Sea of Galilee in the area around there, you would have to go to, say, Camarillo or Ventura. So you get a sense of the distance that we're talking about here between Jerusalem and Galilee. And this particular healing took place, well, right after another healing. In fact, it's the healing of the nobleman or the royal uh, representative's son that took place in Galilee. And now, suddenly, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And the scripture, when it comes to this particular part... I think I'm going to have to go a little closer to get this to change. Oh, yes, here we go. Two things we see in this miracle that are important for us to understand, if you're filling out your outlines, and I hope you are. First one is how Jesus works. How Jesus works. By the way, I have the scripture there in your outline. You can have your Bible there with you, but I will also have it up on the screen as well. We learn how Jesus works especially when it comes to, you know, those times when we feel helpless. And we also learn about who Jesus is, how Jesus works and who Jesus is. So let's begin our look at this. Here's the first two verses, chapter five of the Gospel of John. It starts out sometime later. So we're transitioning here, like I say, from Galilee to Jerusalem. And uh, when it says sometime later, we're not sure exactly what the time is here, how much time there was. But Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, if you understand, when they had these feasts in Jerusalem, the population of the old city swelled tremendously from, oh, maybe around 100,000 to sometimes as many as uh, 500,000 to a million people would end up in Jerusalem. So it became very crowded there. And there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool. And if you understand the old city, if we, say, took this sanctuary and sort of looked at it as kind of the old city of Jerusalem, the walled city with those huge stone walls surrounding it, and you have the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount would be kind of back in this corner here. And uh, that's where the temple was, of course. And then there was a gate down this side where people would enter, considered the sheep gate. And it was called the sheep gate because this is where the sacrificial lambs and sheep would be brought in. And then as you come into the sheep gate, you would come down a little ways, and that's where you would come to where the pool of Bethesda or Bethsaida is located. So you get a little perspective. It's down here. The Temple Mount is over there. And then you have the rest of the old city of Jerusalem. And you have this sheep gate. And uh, there's this pool there, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. For a long time, they wondered if that pool actually ever existed. But about 50 years ago, they did some excavation there near a crusader church that had been built. And they actually discovered the pool. You can go there. In fact... If you go along with Greg and I on the Holy Land tour, a blatant advertisement, of course, (laughs) we'll take you to that, that place and you'll see the pool 
And uh, you'll see the, the archaeological remnants of those colonnades. It's interesting. It's amazing to go to the Holy Land and stand right there and imagine this story taking place right in that spot. It brings a reality to your understanding of faith that you, know, you can't always get in other ways. So there is this pool, and uh, there are all of these people surrounding the pool. Uh, and when you want to understand what God is doing, it's you know, important to understand both the picture of Israel and Jerusalem and the location of these things, and also the Jewish calendar and these various feasts and festivals that took place. Well, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. That was the, the thought, that this angel would stir up the waters. Now, they've discovered uh, that this actually was a natural spring and that there was a flow of water that would occasionally come up and create a natural stirring of the pool. So was it an angel? Was it a natural occurrence? Who knows? Well, the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I put that real big on your outline because I want you to really get that, you know? 38 years. Just think for a moment. 38 years he was paralyzed and invalid. And now God is about to intercede in his life. Have you ever wondered if God will ever, you know, do something that you want him to do? Have you ever, you thought, I've been waiting, Lord. When's it going to happen? You know, when's it going to take place? Uh, I've been praying for my brother. I've been praying about a particular thing I'm dealing with. Is it ever going to happen? 38 years, this man was there waiting, waiting and waiting. And he simply couldn't. Couldn't get into the pool, you know? What a frustration it must have been for him to wonder whatever was going to happen with his life. Well, then Jesus saw him lying there. Now, this is interesting to me. Jesus comes in there. There's all these people around. And uh, it's a feast time. You know, there must have been lots of people crowding in around this pool. And he zeroes in on this one person. Uh, And he learned, it says... How he learned, I don't know, maybe someone told him. Maybe he knew, just instinctively, that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Three things opened up the possibility of change in this man's life. First of all, Jesus saw him. Now, this is Jesus in human form. He wasn't as he is today, where he can see everyone. But he zeroed in on this particular person. Jesus sees each one of us. He knows us. He sees us. Right now, he's right here, present, and he is watching. Jesus also knew his condition. He knew his condition. He knew he had been in this condition for 38 years. And he knows our condition, doesn't he? I think he knows us probably better than we know ourselves. (laughs) And so he knows our condition. So he sees us and he knows us just like he knew this man. And then Jesus asked him a question. 
Have you ever noticed that when you study the Bible and you study these stories, often Jesus asks a question. And the reason he does that is because this becomes a self-revealing way of determining how someone honestly feels. Now, the question is kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Um, Do you want to get well? Now, if you were paralyzed for 38 years... Uh, you were, you know, at the edge of a pool that you thought might bring healing to you, uh, but you just couldn't get up and get into the pool in time. Wouldn't this question be pretty obvious? Wouldn't the answer to this question be, be pretty obvious? Ah, but you see, it's not just any question. It's one of life's greatest and deepest questions. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you? Do you really? Ah, do you really? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing? This is the question here. I mean, what if he was comfortable there in his paralyzed condition? You know? He was there at the pool. He was with his friends. They were all relaxing on their mats. Having a good time. You know, I can't get in, but, you know, I like these people. Does he really want to get well? I mean, you may say you want to get well, but do you really want to get well? Get it? I don't think so. (laughs) Let me try it again. Get it? All right, good. This is a critical question. Now, notice the response of this paralyzed man. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, I thought this was interesting in this story because the people who can get into the pool, do they really need healing? You know... If they're capable of getting up and running and dashing into the pool and then claiming that they were healed afterwards, maybe they didn't need healing in the first place. I don't know. That's kind of interesting. You know, we can all relate to this. We find ourselves paralyzed at times. We find ourselves wondering, you know, boy, I just don't know what the Lord is doing here. I don't know what move I should make. I don't know what he wants me to do. I feel just paralyzed, helpless, you know. But the one barrier, notice, that stood in the way of change in this man's life was his solution. His solution. He thought he knew how he was going to be healed. You know? So it's his solution. Well, sir, I can't get into the pool. How do you expect me to be healed? You know? In his mind, that was what was going to get him healed. Was if he could just get up or somehow have somebody... He probably looked at Jesus and thought, well, this guy looks strong. You know, Jesus was a carpenter. He probably was uh, pretty, pretty able to maybe lift this guy and take him into the pool. And so he probably said, sir, you know, I can't get into the pool. So his barrier was his own solution. We often become so focused on the one solution that we cannot see God's solution. We're so focused on the way we think it should be done. We're so focused on our idea of what the solution is that we blind ourselves to the very solution that God has for us 
And that's the situation. We become so accustomed to life around us that we are satisfied in our pool of misery. <laughs> you ever know somebody like that? You know, they, they're sad, they, they find some kind of joy in their misery. Uh, and boy, they just wouldn't know what to do if they weren't, if they weren't suffering. Now, we see what Jesus does do, but let's take a look at what he doesn't do in this situation. It speaks as loud as what he does do. Jesus did not offer to help him into the pool. Do you notice that? And he said, oh yeah, sure, I'll lift you in. Come on, let's wait, okay. No, he didn't offer to help him into the pool. Hmm, interesting. Uh, also, you will notice, Jesus did not encourage him that someday he would certainly be first. You know, oh, someday I'm sure it'll happen. You know, just sit here and relax on your mat and eventually it'll, it'll take place. And then notice Jesus did not make him more comfortable where he was. <laughs> Didn't give him a pillow and say, well, here, let's make your mat a little more comfortable in your, you know, paralyzed state. And Jesus did not argue with the man about his theological shortcomings, you know. And I'm sorry, your theology of healing is just not working here, is it? Uh, I think you need some help. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, it's amazing, get up! That's what he said. Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. Get up. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was uh, on, the, on the Sabbath day. Three things activated the reality of change in his life and will in yours as well. Okay? First of all, you have to focus on not so much your solution or idea, but how God moves in your life. But first of all, the operative phrase here is get up. Jesus challenges us to do the very thing we cannot do. He does. He challenges us to move out of our comfort zone, to move out of you know, our preconceived notion of what we think the solution will be, and to do the very thing that we think we cannot do. Get up! Another interesting thing is, he says, take up your mat. Now, what's, what's interesting about this is, is Jesus removes the temptation to relapse. You know, he says, not only get up and walk, but he says, take your mat, too, because we don't want you laying back down there. You know? We don't want you to go back there. We want you to move forward. And that's why he says walk, because he expects continued success. He expects us to move forward and to walk. Very simple. When you're feeling helpless, man, get up. Get up. Take up your mat. Begin to do those things that you think you can't do, but you can with his power and his strength. And he'll provide for you. But you've got to move. You can't just sit there in your misery and expect God to somehow, you know, make you more comfortable or help you unless you're willing to get up. We always take the first step in these healings. It's always our job to understand what it means to believe and to have faith. And that's what's important and critical here. Get it? All right, good. I think you got that one. So the Jews said to the man who has been healed, this is just amazing to me, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. 
This man had been paralyzed for 38 years. And the first thing the Jewish authorities say to him is, ah, it's, uh, you can't carry your mat. It's illegal on the Sabbath. What is that? I mean, wouldn't you think they would just want to embrace him and praise the Lord that he was healed, that God healed him and just be overjoyed because of this healing moment? Four decisions that will assure you a lifestyle of change. Decide to reject legalism. Decide to reject legalism. Do not focus your faith on the form of behavior and belief, but on the deep love that God has for you. Our behavior is an outgrowth of love, not an outgrowth of rules. We do what God wants us to do because we love him. That's true in your family, too. You do the things that are best for your children because you love them. You you know, love is real. Legalism blinds us to the miraculous work of God. They couldn't even see that God had healed this man because they were so focused on the fact that he wasn't keeping the Sabbath right. But legalism also binds us to the meticulous rules of man. And religion does not become a joy. It becomes a misery. It becomes a torturous thing. Yeah, I'll tell you, if doing what God wants you to do has become miserable for you, you need to examine the basis of your faith and whether you honestly have a loving relationship with God. It's so, so critical. We are acting like Pharisees when we hold on traditions above the purpose of God. When we keep spiritual laws without recognizing the spiritual meaning behind them. Have you ever done something just because, well, I guess I'm supposed to do it, but you don't understand the reason why? We find our spiritual comfort in a list. And the real danger of legalism is this. Legalism is false holiness. It's false holiness. Have you ever known people who base their understanding of your religiosity on your behavior? You know? Well, how many hours a day do you pray? You know? Well, I'm more pious than you are. You understand that faith is a relationship. How do we combat legalism? Three simple things. Truth must emerge. We must understand what the genuine truth is. Conviction must be employed. We must be very convicted about our relationship with God. And grace, isn't that neat that that goes right across the top of the cross? Wow, how cool is that? Grace must be embraced right across the top of the cross. Mm. That is so true. Well, let's go on in our story. Uh, The man then who was healed, had no idea who it was that had healed him. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I was amazed uh, the earlier uh, healing that took place with the royal nobleman who came to Jesus. Jesus questioned the faith of people because he made the statement in that particular healing, all you people want are miraculous signs. And then he performed the healing. Here he performs the healing, and then he talks about the faith of this man. He works in different ways with different, different people. Uh, so, for Jesus had slipped away in the crowd that was there, the man didn't know who he did. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. 
Now, I thought that was interesting that he found him at the temple. Think about this man was paralyzed for 38 years. He probably was unable or maybe even not even permitted to go into the temple. And the first thing he does when he's healed is he goes into the temple. He finds him there and Jesus says to him, see, you are well again. Then he makes a fascinating statement. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Something worse may happen to you. I believe that what Jesus was saying there was that short of being paralyzed for 38 years, the worst thing that could happen to us is that we not see the kingdom of God, that we not be a part of the ultimate place that God wants us. Well, the man went away after he had learned, of course, who it was, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Some interesting things here. Number two, and this is, again, coming back to facing that legalistic approach to religious practice. The first thing, of course, is to reject it, and the second thing is to decide to worship. Decide to worship. Worship really is the essence of our overflowing love for God. When we come to this place, we are expressing our love for God in worship. That's what worship is. So when we decide to worship, we combat that nature in us that focuses only on behavior. Decide to stop sinning. (laughs) You ever thought of that as a decision? That is a decision that you have to make. And decide to openly confess Jesus openly confess. That's what he did. He went back and said, well, I know who healed me. It was Jesus who healed me. You know, it was Jesus who brought that power and that strength to my life. That was so, so important. Do you want to get well? Do you? All right. Do you want to get well? Get up! (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. Get up. Get up. Embrace God's grace. Get up. Embrace God. Worship God's majesty. Get up. Get up. Rely on God's power. Get up. Get up. And share God's gift. Get it? Good. Gracious Heavenly Father, gracious Heavenly Father, as we, as we go from this place, help us, Lord, to look into your face and to see you there standing beside us, asking that question, do you want to be well? Help us, Lord, to understand that it is only when we connect with those eyes, when we are willing to get up, to move out, to do the very things that we don't think we can, but not under our power, but under your power. Help us, Lord, to look into those eyes, to get up, to pick up our mat, and to walk, to move forward in grace, and to know that God will be there to heal us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.